Hey everybody, welcome to today's little tarot tips or tarot conversation. My name is Sue Ellis Saller and I'm an angel tarot and oracle card reader, a certified transformational life coach and Reiki master healer, along with being a spiritual business mentor and the founder of Spiritual Business Spotlight. So this is probably going to go into the spiritual business Spotlight archives and also on my own homepage. So if you're looking for that in the future, that's where you can find it. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about a conversation that was going on in a tarot group that I frequent on Facebook. And I can't remember specifically which one it was because, you know, I'm a part of a lot of them like tarot nerds, tarot professionals. Um, pretty much anything that I've come across on Facebook that's tarot related, I've joined. And so the conversation somehow came around to the fact that a gentleman who was conversing said that the symbolism in tarot is primarily related to the Christian church and Christian symbolism and Christian tradition. And so many of us were like, what, what are you talking about there, dude? Because, you know, even Christianity itself took symbolism from other religions or other practices. Um, so, you know, and if you want to get really into that, it's a big, giant, long rabbit hole that you can fall down Um that, you know, kind of encompasses, well, I would start with Zeitgeist, the movie, because that kind of goes into a lot of the different uh, religious and symbol symbolic um, background worldwide and kind of, what's the word, compares and contrasts them. So for future reference, I need to turn my fingers off on my computer. And you can tell my age because I say the bingers off instead of the alerts. But anyway, let's go back to the tarot, the fool's journey, and archetypes in tarot readings. Because this is something that I feel, you know, when I teach tarot, I teach it from the perspective, especially with the major arcana, that it, you know, you really can fully understand it a lot better when you see it as the way a person's life rolls out. And it makes a lot of sense when you look at it that way. So, you know, you have the zero, the fool, the, um, the card that is full of unlimited potential and possibility. And, you know, then the fool is like a young man. And then the magician is a, uh, an older man. The high priestess is a woman. The empress is a woman. Um, and it really goes along these lines of not only bringing these archetypes in there, like male, female, mother, father, grandparents, society, things that a person learns as he's going through life, but also these <laughs> totally profound and totally archaic from the beginning of time um, ideas like birth, death, not taxes, we won't say that, but <laughs> um, struggle, 
let's see, birth, death, struggle. We have uh, fairness, so justice. We have looking out for other people. We have society in the Hierophant card. We have choices that a person makes in the lovers. We have um, the wheel, for example. The wheel is a card that's based on a pagan tradition where they would sacrifice a man like I think every spring to make sure that their crops grew. So that's definitely, well, I guess if you want to say that if you want to like correlate the sacrificing a man in order to, you know, herald the coming of the crops or doing better in life, I guess you can associate that with the Jesus story if you really wanted to. But the fact of the matter remains that it is based on a pagan tradition. And so you have these things, you have the sun, the moon, <laughs> you know, stars. Those things are not specifically related to Christianity. And so even though, you know, the first, when they first started writing about tarot or playing tarot or whatever, it might have been during those, like, and I hate to say when they started because quote unquote, I'm going to say when they started quote unquote, because there are a lot of images and symbolism that have been pulled from, you know, all over the place from life experience. And they're not specifically related to Christian beliefs and base. They're just like stuff that people do and did prior to Christ being born, you know, during the Holy Roman Empire, there was birth, there was death, there was war, there were people who were, you know, maternal and taking care of children, there were people who were warlike. Um, and also, you know, I know that people might argue that Crawley and, you know, the Golden Dawn kind of sprinkled the original tarot with all of these meanings and things like that. But really, if you look at it as the symbols that are represented on the cards, especially these things that are just totally, you know, evident around us. So the different elements like, you know, the coins being earth, cups being water, they hold water, coins pay for things. Um, wands can be used in battle. They can be burnt as fodder for fire or fuel for fire. And swords are double-edged. Swords didn't start with Christianity. And so, and also double-edged swords. I wanted to talk about that in a future conversation that I'm just going to do about each element. But anyway, getting back to the original topic, that these archetypes didn't really start with Christianity, that, you know, even though the cards, some people, tarot in its form that we know it today may have originated in 1400s in Europe as a game that was kind of like using these cards to tell a story. And a lot of times the symbols were sometimes um, covert messages against the church, but whatever, 
whatever you want to say about that, the symbols that we see on tarot cards today so are as old as time itself. You can't really um, stick them or associate them only with Christian religion. And to do so is really kind of ignoring... I hate to say it, but ignoring logic because, you know, even, excuse me, even archetypes like male, female, young, old, start, finish, uh, birth, pregnancy, things like that. Those are, um, I'm not, you know, I'm using archetypes in a broader sense because I, I shouldn't really say archetypes, but symbolism, but some of them are related to archetypes anyway. Um, so right now I'm looking at the emperor from the Morgan Greer deck. And I know that the emperor is ruled over by Mars. I know that he wears his um, armor. He has his sword. He can be, he is the essence of masculinity, both in sexual prowess, prowess excuse me, and also in, you know, that testosterone-fed war-like energy. And that is something that is normally, it doesn't matter what culture, what timeline, those, you know, you take a man and that symbolism and tie the two together and it, it spans time. So... That was kind of what I wanted to talk about a little bit today. And, you know, even looking at the cards, you know, I have this tarot deck in front of me and I'm going to look at the Ten of Cups. And it is, again, the Morgan Greer deck. And the rainbow that comes after the rain and associated probably with like, yay, the rain has ended. And now there's this beautiful rainbow. And also, you know, coming together, holding the cup together in a loving gesture, the arms that are in here. And, you know, if you're looking at the one from the regular Rider weight deck, there's a man and a woman and their children and they're dancing in the field and everything is fun and fine and dandy and everything like that. So that symbolism shows happiness. It shows you know, the sun is shining and that people are dancing and there's nothing wrong in the world. So we have to kind of open our minds and expand our awareness when we're working with the tarot deck. And that really helps us to work with it on a different level. I really think because if you're kind of trying to cubbyhole it into something that it isn't or trying to understand it on a very um, narrow basis like Christianity, then you're missing out on a lot of the rich symbolism and also being able to, for many of us, because we don't identify as Christians, many of us don't, some of us do, many of us don't. But so I'm going to talk a little bit about the pool's journey as well. I don't know how long this is going to be. I'm just kind of rambling right now because I'm tying this all together. So anyway, it's really simple. And so if you, 
if you've studied like behavioral psychology or if you just look around you or at your own life once you get to a certain point and you have that you know reflective tendency to look back over your life um, you can see how this unfolds because you have the fool who is full of potential it's like taking a big chance in life or having tantric sex um, so and after that or even coming up with this really big idea that you're just like so excited about and then you can't only have the idea you have to add the material aspect to it so you have the zero going to the one and the one is also potential but also potential meets um what's the word effort and so spirit meets earth so you're giving that idea that you had that you know inkling that really you know even that sexual energy you're giving it material to feed it so that's where potential goes to the next step and starts to solidify as an um, object or as a what's the word power um, the magician is able to pull from the heavens like the symbolism and from the earth his arm one arm is up the other arm is down and between the two of those there is a human so this is like the concept conception the point of conception where sperm meets egg and so everything comes together and then you have the high priestess representing things growing in secret so and even with business if you're in business you know this too that even if you have this idea and you start to give it all of your energy and you start to bring it to life in the material world it still needs time to grow it's still going to grow in the dark quote unquote and so like a seed that's planted beneath the soil it isn't light beneath the soil it needs that you know kind of um nurturing from the seed from the soil and everything like that and then you go into the empress so the empress is kind of that nurturing that seed absorbing the minerals from the earth around it and using that to grow and to erupt from the earth as a plant and you know that is the empress not only in the birth or in the ability i don't know what uh, i want to say here like the not the act but we'll say the birth or where it sprouts and breaches the soil and comes up and you know comes out into the sun or whatever um and so that energy is really kind of the mother the first thing you encounter as a most of the time we'll say i don't know like 90 percent of the time 95 98 percent of the time is the mother energy and the mother energy is going to be that nurturing feeding supporting energy it's going to be the first thing that you interact with and it's going to be the first person also who really kind of influences you in a way um and then there's the father so in the emperor and the father like i said before the emperor has all of that male masculine energy that warlike energy but also sh 
structure and discipline because that's one of the things I always think about too in terms of archetypes like women are usually more flowing and you know kind of go with the flow and then there's the man who and also if you think about the three in a triangle as opposed to the four in the emperor or in the square so ideas like organization being squared away being really sometimes aggressive but sometimes author i don't want to say authoritarian but i can say that right right okay so then we have that that energy coming into the picture where at first the mother is kind of like the only person who's really influencing the child from a certain perspective and i'm not saying overall and in general but or yeah i'm gonna say by a certain perspective and then we have the influence of the father coming into the picture so he's teaching him right and wrong the mom's doing that too but um usually usually the men are much more firm in discipline discipline is another thing that goes along with the emperor and you know organization if you came to my house you would totally see <laughs> my husband is like methodological what the heck is that word he's like very organized, very systematic. And then there's me that's like, we let's just do art and look in the garden and everything like that. So I had to incorporate some of his energy into my life in order to like make things run more so smoothly. But anyway, we'll go from that. And then we're going to have the hero fan come in and that's the entry into society and the expectations that'll uphold the norms or the classic way of doing things. And so that is something, no matter if a person was from a tribal background or from a Christian background, that's when, you know, the, the child leaves the house and kind of gets acclimated into society and learns those societal rules, even though they may or may not differ from the rules of the house. And then um, after a while, the child gets to the point where he wants to make his own decisions about life and what he chooses for himself. And that is the lovers and how that's representative. And so he is given a choice of what's expected of him which is the hero fan, what his, his society, what his family wants from him, and what he wants to do in life, which is the chariot. So he's the one who wants to hold the reins in his own life. But there's also, at this point in time, this need, even though he has to make the choice with the lovers and everything like that, but he also needs to make sure that he has everything balanced and grounded within his own life in order to kind of travel in the way that he wants to or direct his life in the way that he wants to. And that's the energy of the chariot. Um, now, if the fool puts the rein in his own hands and takes control of his own life, then he will go on to the place where his self-confidence grows and he feels strong and sure within himself. And that's the strength card. And at that time, he might decide that he's a pretty good character and that he can lead others because he's such a strong, wise person, or he might turn inside inward to find out what his own guidance says and how that plays into his life. And that's the hermit. So 
even in a regular person's life up to that time, you know, once a person marries and takes the reins of his or her life into the person's life into the person's own hands, then the person is going to eventually hit a place where they either, you know, kind of help others along in the hermit, or sometimes you take a step back into your own self to figure out, you know, a lot of people when they get to like the, I'd say mid thirties, early forties are really kind of looking back, seeing if their life is being directed in the way that they want to. And a lot of times they change their social um, circles. They change what they're doing. They want to make sure that they're directing their life in the way that they want to, um, in the way that the hermit is. Now, faith that would have it that either cycles out of the inward looking phase of life and sees where the others in the world have rights and opinions just like he does. And this is when justice comes into play. Now, fate, also, the number 10 card is, you know, an interesting card in and of itself. And we can talk about that later on. I don't want to talk about that right now. I want to just go through this um, little thing that I wrote out here. But anyway, so he, after he gets out of that inward looking phase, hopefully, this is what we're um, experiencing in the world right now, where this person would look around and see that other people have the same rights and opinion rights and opinions like he does, and so this is where justice comes into play. Um, so he really comes to the point where he understands that there are concepts that don't fit into honoring the rights of everyone, like punishment of murders or pedophiles. Um, or, you know, really kind of taking those societal rules and applying them overall and in general and keeping everyone's rights in mind. Um, and that's justice as well. So he, let's see, where did I, okay. So he comes to this point too where he might, kind of have to take a step back and see that an eye for an eye or murdering one person for murdering another person doesn't seem right. And so this it comes to the hanged man where the fool kind of has to turn himself upside down to achieve enlightenment or see where those more complicated situations that aren't black and white fit into his being. And then you know, he finds temperance, which is a balance between what's good and what's bad and the weighing of the totality of the implications and seemingly and rectifying seemingly conflicting thoughts in life. So balance as we know it isn't something that stays in a person's life for a long time, especially after all that hanging upside down and trying to maintain some sort of balance. And this is where the fool might be tempted to use something, be it, you know, to maintain that balance. Because once you attain that state of harmony, once you get out of it, you desire to get back into it, at least in my own personal opinion. So that balance has to be maintained, be it through a 
other person, be it through food, drugs, porn, whatever. So the fool chooses advice, but he can't seem to let go of the vice to move on, leading to a lot of the fool's life being built on shaky pretenses and where those addictions lie. And so that's the devil card right there. That's that like over-dependence on either showing other people, showing off to other people, keeping up with the Joneses, but like looking down your nose at other people, over-dependence on anything, be it material, spiritual. And yeah, spiritual dependency is a thing. Um, other people's opinions, um, drugs, food, porn, I already mentioned those things. And then when your life becomes like that, then what happens? The tower comes and shakes everything away. Like it's just like burning down the house of cards that the fool has built, you know, and it's a natural step from the devil. It's like when the junkie hits rock bottom and he realizes that everything in his life has to change. That's the tower. That's the energy of the tower. And it doesn't happen for everybody, but I'm going to say that it does happen for a lot of people. And the devil too, I interpret a lot of times as codependency. So it's a really, I hate to say it, it's something that women kind of fall into a lot of times in relationships. And I know men as well, but we'll say women in relationships, you know, always trying to please other people. And then they hit that point where they're just so overwhelmed and overburdened that then the tower comes in and they have to shake all that off and figure out what is important again. And it really sometimes leads people to struggle with their internal demons as well. So, you know, you're not fully over it once you get into the tower, but you go into the moon's energy where you have to face your demons. You have to become friends with the bad uh, parts of you. I'm putting bad in quotes. You couldn't see my fingers going up in the air like that. But, you know, because the moon is something, you know, where you really have to, number one, face what's inside you. And sometimes like, you know, and the moon, like I said, it's, it's not something that started with Christians, but um, it also has its phases. It also has its strengths. It also influences our life if we want to use its energy. So the, to use the energy of that time in our life, what's internal, what's hidden from the outside world, go into that so then we have the dark night of the soul. And so once the fool has embraced and accepted his faults and negative aspects, he starts shining like a star in the night. And this is the other thing, like the star too is like the light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing. So there's hope in that. There's, it, there has to be darkness in order for there to be stars. I mean, this is just something that we know. I mean, the stars are there during the day, but you can't see them. But at night, you can see them. And so this is kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel. So the star becomes ablaze as the fool integrates all of his personality into his true self. And then he becomes what he was meant to be all along, which is the sun. And his life is full of optimism, joy. He's able to fully, you know, kind of have everything out 
of himself in a harmonious nature. And, you know, the sun is, you know, warmth. It's optimism. It helps things grow. It is necessary for survival on the earth, you know, so that, that phase, daytime illumination, kind of optimism, full integration of everything. You can see everything clearly. Um, he looks back on his life, though, at that point in time, figuring out what was good about it and what wasn't the best and what he needs to let go of. You know, even if you're living in a really optimistic, pure I don't want to say pure because that's a that's not the right word. But even if you're fully open and you know, it's just like if your house, I'll think of my garden for example. Um, there are parts of it that I love and that I've worked on, and they are sitting there for everybody to see. And parts of it that really need to be weeded and re-sorted, and you know, kind of. Reworked, and that's judgment. People are going to sit in judgment of themselves. They're going to sit in judgment of other people, and you know, especially. And I don't want to use judgment in a bad way because I feel like the third wave has kind of made, or maybe even the second wave or whatever, has made judgment a negative thing. But when we look at it in terms of creating positive change in our lives and the lives of others, then judgment can be a really good thing. It's discernment. It's saying, you know, in my garden, I need to pull those weeds over there. I need to get the grass over here or in my own life. Well, this worked for me and this is making my life great. And this didn't work for me and it's making my life not so great. But anyway, <laughs> at the end of the day, this is almost like the uh, if you go into like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's towards the top. So it's judgment and discernment of what, you know, in your own life and in the lives of other people. But you don't need to really get involved in the lives of other people. Anyway, they're doing their best in their own fool's journey. Um, so, and then the cycle is complete and it gets ready to begin anew and that's the world that's where the energies are all you know in the right away deck they have the full circle they have the elements at the corners they have a hermaphrodite in the middle so it's like the ultimate end of this cycle so the end of one phase beginning of another one in a different way than death though um did i talk about death oh my gosh i don't think i talked about death We'll have to, I have to go back through and uh, add that to here. So anyway, I really think that, okay, so death is 13. It comes after the hanging. No, no, I don't know. So anyway, when you are looking at the tarot, just to summarize this, when you're looking at the tarot and you're looking at it from a perspective of these are symbols that happen in life and it doesn't matter what 
religious background a person has or really what their beliefs and faith are. It is just the normal process of a person moving through their life, hopefully with um, a measure of self-awareness. And that's also a part of the journey through life is this self-awareness, awareness of others, awareness of how a person fits into the community, aware of the choices that the person has to make. And you know, overall themes that have to do with the community and society like justice and like, you know, birth and redeath or death and rebirth, sorry. Birth and redeath. That's an interesting one. So anyway, I think that that is where I'm going to leave it today. Of course, there are going to be people who won't agree with what I've said today. And I totally, 100% welcome conversation because I am always into something new, learning from other people, seeing other people's perspectives about tarot um, that might help me to learn something else or something new or see the cards or a symbol in a different way. So I would love it if you left a message or some kind of feedback response to this. Thank you so very much. I am going to hopefully do these, um, do these podcasts once a week so that we could talk about tarot. Maybe I'll call them talk about tarot. I'm sure somebody else has something that's called talk about tarot. But anyway, this is Sue Ellis Saller from Spiritual Business Basics, Spiritual Business Spotlight, and com. So if you have any questions, feel free to email me at sue, S-U-E, at sueellisseller.com. So we'll talk soon. Have a great day. Bye.